Welcome to episode five of season two of Rigged. In this episode, Ilias, Chris, and Jamie continue the discussion of the Class E drug classification debacle. Hundreds of people were sent to prison by state chemists who knew the drugs they were testing were not illegal in Massachusetts. This explosive revelation is explored, and never-before-known information about the drug lab case is revealed in the latest episode of the Rigged Podcast. It's, this is crazy. But so here is, I have this email from August 16th of 2011 between two state police directors. I, I don't know their exact titles, but it's Guy Valero and Kenneth uh, Gagnon, G-A-G-N-O-N. And it's from Kenneth Gagnon to Guy Valero. Guy Valero is the um, guy from state police that took, that was the new director of the lab uh, after the state police took over the lab. So uh, the, the hidden lab. And so here it goes. Uh, periodically new drugs suddenly show up on the streets here in Massachusetts and around the country. Abuse of these new drugs then result in individuals showing up in hospital emergency rooms. These new drugs also start showing up in our laboratories for analysis. Here are a couple examples of these new drugs. Something being sold as bath salts, which has been found to contain a chemical called, oh my God. Don't even try. Don't even try. Yeah, it's it's like 20. I'll post this on Twitter. You guys can read it yourself. Commonly called MDPV. This drug is a stimulant. Great. Um, A drug called CAT. C-A-T. It has a longer name, but they call it the nickname is CAT. This drug is another stimulant and is related to the active ingredient in African plant material called KHAT cat. As of today, MDP, MDPV is not specifically controlled under Massachusetts law and is not controlled federally. If we identify this drug in the lab, we report it as not a controlled substance. The classification of this drug is not a problem. Uh, Cat has been in the news recently too. However, cat was placed on the Federally Controlled Substances Act as a class one controlled substance back in 1993. Cat is not specifically controlled under Massachusetts law either. What we have been doing for this drug and others that the DEA has taken action on and placed them onto the federal controlled substance schedule is called these drugs class E controlled substance under the Massachusetts general laws, chapter 94 C section 31. Here is the definition of the federally scheduled, uh, federal schedule one controlled substance substances, substances in these schedule have a high potential for abuse, have no currently accepted medical treatment in the treatment in the United States. And there is a lack of accepted safety uh, for use of these drugs or other substances under the under medical supervision. Some examples of substances listed in Schedule 1 are heroin, um, LSD, marijuana, peyote, etc. Please note th- uh, that this definition was taken from the DEA webpage. Here is the thought process we use to determine that compounds that the DEA placed on Schedule 1 are controlled substances under Massachusetts law. For any substance that has been determined to be controlled substance under the federal guidelines in federal schedules 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5, and which is not specifically listed 
under the Chapter 94C, Section 31 of the Massachusetts General Laws, Class C has the following wording, which I call the, quote, catch-all clause. Prescription, uh, prescription drugs other than those included in classes A, B, C, and D and subsection A of this class. Chapter 94, section 1 is the definition section of chapter 94. Here's the definition of for prescription drug. Prescription drug, any drug and all drugs upon which the manufacturer or distributor has in compliance with federal law regulations place the following. Caution. Federal law prohibits dispensing without a prescription. I see this as a manufacturer, legal or illegal, is required by law to, in compliance with federal law and regulations, place the following. Um, caution, federal law prohibits dispensing without prescription or any compound uh, preparation or substance which is controlled which is listed as a controlled substance on the federal schedules one, two, three, four, or five. Additionally, if a person is in possession of any compound uh, preparation or substance, which is listed of on schedules one, two, three, four, and five without a prescription, then under mass law, you are in possession of a class E controlled substance. Call if you want slash need to. Thanks, Ken Gagnon. Is it safe, is it safe to laugh now? Because <laughs> that is a joke. Yeah. That is a effing joke like for real so so the man the, the guy making bzp in his basement is supposed to write a little note on a, on a post-it and uh, on the ziploc bag and say uh in in accordance with what let me read it again um oh sorry caution federal law prohibits dispensing without a prescription that's the, that's what the the, the manufacturer yes. of bzp is supposed to say of course in, in his basement that's the number one thing he goes to so, yeah, uh, I mean that's a fan, that's it would have been better with my. Uh, I, I think we should have some you know audio of the clown music, clown car music, but yeah, that would have been better <laughs> if we with that music. But yeah. um, that is gladiators. That is uh, some serious verbal gymnastics to figure out how something that requires a prescription. Uh, that suddenly doesn't need to have a prescription uh, in order to be classy, but and they knowingly do it. They knowingly do it. They're like, and they justify it to themselves. They're like, we know that these substances are not illegal, but, you know, with some uh, mental gymnastics, we've convinced ourselves that, you know what, they actually are illegal because you're not supposed to have them or whatever. And uh, they, they are harmful and they're not a prescription. So boom, classy, don't have to test them. You're, you're guilty, go to jail. Like, in any questions, do call, please. I mean, like, it's I, I think the OIG and the Attorney General's Office, both of them, have looked at this and concluded that uh, you know the labs were certifying things that were not illegal drugs, and uh, you know uh, they they could have, in their reports, went back and said our lawyers were aware of this and we didn't report it earlier, but uh, they just sort of left the question out there whether or not anyone realized what the chemists were doing was wrong, either at the point in time that the chemists were actually doing this or during the investigations that followed up. So my question is, is if the lawyers and the AG and the OIG clearly knew that this is an incorrect analysis of law, why wasn't anyone referred for prosecution? Or if that was too much, 
uh, you know, why was there no uh, you know, action taken with uh, to professional responsibility, right? Like, why go Why on? was there no investigation? Why were they doing this? What was the motive? Well, why did they... And, and just to, 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 to be clear, that email that you read uh, from Jamie uh, with sent within the uh, Mass State Police, that's not referenced in the OIG report. Right. That's I what don't, I mean. Yeah, I never heard of that. And so now I go back to the OIG's report that says, during the course of our investigation, we discovered that Hinton Lab, which at that time was run by the state police, so, mm-hmm. so they had certainly access to state police uh, officials to sort of bounce off their uh, uh, some of their BZP ideas um, and figure out what the state police was doing at, at a minimum. And I think they got this email, right, Jamie? You you tell me what, what the source of this, uh, your source of the email was, but um, they don't mention that, oh, it wasn't just Hinton. It was also the state police. It said, uh, we're doing that. State police, that is their policy. And by the way, I got the state police's SOPs, procedures, regarding classification of drugs. And it says to not represent the classification if something is a scheduled, is federally scheduled and not listed as anything in on the uh, mass general laws. It actually calls it out in their procedures to not do this. And yet they were doing it. But where did you get that email from? I got that email from the state police. Okay, so we don't necessarily know if the OIG had it. But I guess it doesn't make a difference in my mind because they should have had it. Well, if I can find it, how do they not find it? And like, like, I gave this to Nathan Tamulus and he like his head almost exploded when he read this. What I was saying is the attorney general's office certainly should have had it. And I believe uh, the report uh, pursuant to Commonwealth Vicado, did it touch on this at all or not? I, I think it may have referenced it at one point, but in any event, even if it wasn't there, the attorney general's office should have known what the state police was doing. And when it conducted investigations into all of this, it should have reported it. Absolutely. Of course. But instead, like some rando just does a FOIA with the state police when they were responding to my FOIA requests. And, um, and they, they gave me this and it's just unbelievable. And there's, there's multiple, uh, they, um, What's his name? The, the guy who was sent this email responded and it's like, I don't agree with this logic. <laughs> Basically, <laughs> just said, I don't agree with this and because it's all it's bullshit. It's it's wishful thinking. It's it's trying to use that uh, the some general language in the class C um, law to make this whole problem go away because this problem will never go away. I guarantee it is still happening now where people are going to trial for drugs that are not illegal in the state that are too new to be illegal, yet they're still getting arrested for them because it's drugs and they have to arrest people for drugs. So I guarantee that this is still happening. Right. Another interesting thing is that the OIG learned of this issue certainly sometime in 2014 and what's interesting is they just issued a report in 2014. So that would be like the time to do like an errata or a corrigendum or something. Instead, they do this, this like supplemental report where they kind of like slide this point in in 2016. So it's not clear how what an in-depth investigation they did over the next year and a half. Um, but it's just odd that sort of they they spaced it out so far after the report that came out in the same year that they claimed they 
that they did the most exhaustive investigation ever. And yet they didn't really pick up on this point. Like after they hit sand on their uh, uh, original report. Whoops. They were actually sending people to jail for stuff they knew wasn't illegal and they were all lying about it. Oh yeah. Oh, we're, we're not going to mention that because that was again. So this is where I go back to the state saying that there was not, Besides Annie Dukin, you can't prove that there was other bad actors. Like this is that's this is a joke. This is the state police now. No one's ever mentioned the state police for any wrongdoing for any of this, right, Chris? None of this has not affected the state police. Any of these drug scandals, they they hold the state police lab up like it's this pristine lab, correct? Well, I mean, there have been another number of scandals that have plagued the state police, so. <laughs> yeah but in particular the state lab uh i don't think so no they, they've been left out of it and they even i remember when the duke and scandal hit they one of the news stations was given a tour of the state lab to show them what a great lab it was i I'll, i i remember that it's out on the web somewhere um where you can google it and it's massachusetts state you know drug testing lab from like 2000 and 12 or whenever the video was taken and they go into the state lab and like this lab is doing all the testing now and they are all above board because we are not propaganda <laughs> and they go into the lab and show the, the lab workers working and it, it looked all well and good but this stuff's going on behind the scenes somehow didn't make it now uh and so let's fast forward that was all 2011 where that was like three months in 2011 where all those BZP and um, Class C conversations were going on. Now, we'll fast forward to after, um, you know, Farrakh has been arrested, uh, Dugan has been arrested in September of uh, 5th of 2014. Tara McGuire from the, D- what's the DAA? What is that, guys? DAA. Do you know that, that uh, uh, abbreviation? I don't know what office that is. Anyways. I'm, I'm, I'm guessing district from, attorneys association. Yeah. Okay. I'm guessing from some of the other, uh, um, uh, acronyms that some of these other people are count, you know, County, uh, aligned yeah, attorneys association. So, yeah. So well, Plymouth, Middlesex, Norfolk, uh, Michael Morrissey, uh, NFK, um, Norfolk. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, um, so these so, are all the DAs and she's in Tara here is emailing all the DAs saying, Hinton slash Amherst Labs and BZP issues. That's the subject. Um, to the DAs, <laughs> huzzah. Uh, Glenn Kuna, the inspector general, uh, called me to notify, uh, called me to notify you of another issue from the Hinton Lab. During the course of their investigation, the inspector general learned that when a substance tested positive for BZP, the chemist would issue a drug cert stating the substance was a class E drug or occasionally listed as a class B because, you know, fuck it, right? Um, Although BZP is an illegal drug under federal law, it is not yet illegal in Massachusetts, the inspector general's office has found 170 cases where this type of sort of certificate was issued and estimates approximately 20 of those resulted in conviction. They're going to send, they are going to send out specific case information to you next week. 
Although the inspector general only investigated the Hinton lab, it appears possible that some of the chemists at the Amherst lab may have been doing the same thing. The Mass State Police is now investigating the Amherst cases. At this point, I do not have any specific information on which cases are involved, except uh, many were out of Suffolk and D.A. Connolly was notified in August. Wow. And yet, uh, what, what's her name? Has I, I don't think uh, these cases have been dismissed yet, have they? If you have any immediate questions, please do not hesitate to call my cell. I have promised that I have been promised that more information will be distributed to you next week. Thank you, Tara. And so that then goes, and then we go to John Verner. Our, our old friend who sent out an email blast to, again, all of the district attorneys in Massachusetts and, and then some uh, back in 2014. It says, folks, I understand you recently received information from the inspector general's office regarding the Hinton Drug Lab and their labeling of substances, substance known as BZP as a Class E substance. Late last week, and AAG and I had an opportunity to sit down with the Inspector General's office to discuss their findings regarding BZP. As you have been made aware, BZP is a federally controlled Schedule One drug, uh, but it is not actually illegal in Massachusetts. <laughs> actually legal. Dude, bro, it's not legal. actually illegal, okay? Right. Regardless of what they tell you. Uh, therefore, it is incorrect legally to call BZP a controlled Class C drug if the substance tested contained only BZP. As you will see below in, and in the spreadsheet, sometimes a pill will contain BZP and another substance such as MDMA or cocaine. During the discussion, we realized that the Amherst lab may have also been treating BZP in the same manner as him. Based on that information, we spoke with Mass State Police Laboratory Director Kristen Sullivan and learned that the Mass State Police and Amherst lab did indeed treat BZP in the same manner as Hinton. Kristen also told me that in, now this is, the rest of this is in bold, 2012, it was determined by the Mass State Police Lab that BZP should not be classified as a Class C substance and that the practice was discontinued. No, no word or discussion on what that thought process was or what happened there. Uh, Kristen also told me that BZP is prepared and that the Mass State Police is prepared to issue correct reports as needed on BZP cases. Whether the finding was one BZP alone in a pill or BZP and a substance of a higher class together in a pill. Discussed further below. Kristen was kind enough to work quickly to identify all cases containing BZP from the Mass State Police and Amherst Labs. The first spreadsheet contains cases from the Mass State Police Lab. In total, there were 36 cases that were called a Class E substance and should not have been. <laughs> Holy shit! I understand you will be able to look up uh, the lab case number in LIMS to get more information about the case. The second spreadsheet is from the Amherst lab. The first 38 cases are findings of BZP only. Cases 39 through 198 are MDMA cases. Of those cases, column H reflects where there is a combination of MDMA and another drug. I am told by the lab that if there is a finding of MDMA, then the substance is a controlled substance. 
The cases are listed here because MDMA and BZP are commonly found in ecstasy pills, sometimes in combination. The fact brings us to a third spreadsheet that I will forward in one minute. That spreadsheet outlines 35 cases containing BZP in addition to a substance of higher class. That means that the pill tested contained BZP and another substance. As you will see, the other substance is most often MDMA, which, as you know, is a controlled substance. In summary, it looks like there are 36 Mass State Police cases that were called Class E when they should not have been, and 38 Amherst cases that were called Class E when they shouldn't uh, when they should not have been. And then, so what, so that right there, what, what do you guys have any comments on that? Well, I have a, uh, just a, a quick observation. So it sounds like uh, Werner and company in the attorney general's office sat down with OIG and quote, discussed their findings. Okay. That's, that's different than Hey, these are suspicions or allegations. Sounds like in whenever this was September or October of 2014. It was September 10th. September 10th of 2014. The OIG already had findings. So again, I wonder why it took until February of 2016 for us to learn about those findings. Right. But and, in, and that was this before the report? Uh, the, this the was stuff? after this was. The, the report was in spring of 2014. That's right, yes. But right. my point is you just sent the report and now you know that it's materially misleading in a, in a particular way. And I don't see how you just sort of wait for two years, right? That's been before. That's not the only way in specific that it was particularly misleading. We've been talking about other ways in which it was misleading, but go on. Yeah, and, and but it's, it's a, a way that you now know about and now you know the state police is doing it. And what's interesting is that it's not clear that they reported that finding to the state state police uh, to the OIG. So as I understand the chronology, they met with OIG, they had a discussion, they realized that Amherst may have been treating the same thing. So Hinton did it. Now we think, oh, maybe Amherst was doing it. And then it says, based on that information, we AG's office, uh, Werner and Company, spoke with MSP and learned that MSP was doing it too. And then the next sentence would say, and so we called OIG back and said, hey, they're doing it too, right? And now there's going to be a full-blown investigation. No, they didn't. Reading between the lines, either they didn't tell OIG and there should be an investigation of why the AG's office didn't tell OIG, or they did tell OIG and OIG suppressed that and there should be an investigation of that. Absolutely. At like Werner should be asked this question. Did you tell the if he didn't tell the OIG that the Mass State Police did it too, that is completely irresponsible. Like the, he knew the OIG was investigating this. And and of course they would ask, uh, but so why would the state police like the state police were not connected with the DPH? Why were they doing the same exact thing with BZP? They were all doing the same thing. And it kind of goes back to that uh, 2011 uh, email that, you know, the state police sent to each other where they justified it. And that's clearly wrong. And uh, somehow they didn't know it was wrong in 2011, but by 2014, they knew it was, or by 2012, they determined it was wrong. And right. I go back to Luke Ryan's statement that this is sort of a confidence scheme. And it reminds yep. me of, you know, we've all been to that like carnival fair where they have that little thing that with the pool, billiard balls or whatever, and it looks like you're going to be able to knock down that pin or whatever the rigged game is, and everybody tries and they fail because the game is rigged. 
you you know they're all doing it right that's the that's the takeaway so this was the, all the labs were doing this at least with respect to bzp and and i think then one starts to wonder what else were they all doing right um, because it looks like they were all at least the ones we know about uh were maybe doing a little in-house uh production of standards and maybe they were all uh bypassing testing and just doing some eyeballing of things and and so you really start to wonder you know, was there enough investigation of the similarities uh, across all the labs? You know, you know what I think is crazy when uh, the government interviewed chemists involved at the or employed at the Amherst and Hinton Labs. They told people there were problems way worse when we went to when we did go to conferences and whatnot, which is few and far between, right? Because they didn't keep up with their continuing education and yep. training. When they did, they heard horror stories that were way worse than what was going on in Massachusetts. <laughs> and there was no follow-up saying, like, what states were those? And could uh, we refer that to the government in those cases, you know, or, or at least to the public defender's office? Can you elaborate on that at all? You know, if I heard that the Amherst lab was run the way it was run, and someone said, you know, we heard tales that would chill you to the bone, <laughs> you know, I, I can't imagine keeping that under wraps. Right. And I even saw, Chris, I've seen emails from Canada to the state police, to not the state police lab, but I, it may have been to um, one, the Hinton lab, someone at the Hinton lab asking them like basic chemistry questions and, and talking about like- very, no back chemistry so they couldn't answer. Yep. <laughs> Yep. And that's Canada. Like this is so far reaching. Like this is, this is the tip of the iceberg. What we're talking about in this podcast, this, I guarantee in Alabama states down South states in the Midwest, I guarantee that this is a huge problem worse than what any of this stuff we're talking about here but it would take a huge investigation to uncover it like we've been doing here for all those different states. Because if you just scratch the surface, there's no, Luke is right. It's a confidence scheme. And it's a confidence scheme in every single state, not just here. We're picking on this because, you know, Massachusetts, this, is, this was a major story. And um, this is an easy one because we have some of the documentation. But if there was an Annie Dukin or, you know, someone else, I'm sure there was at, at another lab that just got swept under the rug, you know? Yeah. One, one more point about the OIG report. You know, according to the email that you read earlier from, um, I believe it was Ms. McGuire. Yep. Uh, that says that how many people were convicted? Um, was it? Hold on. You want me to go? Yeah, 20 of those resulted in conviction, okay? Yeah. That's not in the OIG report. Right. Right, that's a that's an al- alarming fact uh, uh fact if true uh that certainly was worthy of investigation and the OIG report sort of suggests that maybe maybe mistakes were made but we alerted the prosecutor just in time. Yeah, and also based on my trial court experience that a lot of those were probably continuances without a finding, in which case a person was placed on probation for a number of months and ultimately the cases were dismissed. That's not technically a conviction under Massachusetts law, but it's still an adverse disposition in which the defendant suffered uh, 
collateral consequence, or, uh, which right. there are many. Right. So, and, and not to mention, very careful, carefully, uh, she's not saying that you know the majority of these cases were dismissed. It's only we have records showing convictions in X number of cases. Right. And of those ones that took plea deals or whatever, like, did that affect any kind of government assistance they were getting? You know, like housing situations, how was that impact? There's all kinds of ancillary things that are tied up to this that, um, you know, happened for, for reasons that turned out to be completely false. And I guarantee none of these cases have been dismissed. I haven't heard a single one of these cases being dismissed ever or anyone being notified. I mean, it could have happened. I don't know, but I don't, I honestly do not think that they did. I haven't heard anything. The news media has, there's not been one single story on this anywhere. This is such a huge issue and no one from the globe or anywhere has, has reported on this. So this is my favorite part. So that, that John, that I liked that John Verner email to every, all the district attorneys in Massachusetts saying, Hey, you guys convicted people for possessing drugs that weren't actually illegal. Uh, get back to me, you know, this is the situation. Get back to me if you have any questions. One week later, John Verner sends an email to all the DAs. Hi, everyone. I just wanted to follow up on the email <laughs> below. Uh, I, di I didn't get any responses or questions. <laughs> Not suggesting there needed to be. <laughs> well, it's interesting. I think that the... the is, is he Ned General's Flanders? <laughs> I just want to say, I think the attorney general's office has the ability to take the cases out of the hands of the DA's offices and uh, just run with the case. So I think if uh, the attorney general's office thought it was in the interest of justice to do that, or it would have, but uh, you know, apparently the people at the time didn't think so and just left it in the hands of the DA's and when they did nothing. Um, nothing happened. Right. So, so it said I didn't get any responses or questions. Not suggesting there needed to be. There needed to be, but I wanted to make sure you all received it. <laughs> right. And, 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 then, and, and oh, yeah. go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Finish it, and then. I'll... Yeah. Someone responded and said, uh, "John, thanks. I received your info and passed it on to the people in the office that are dealing with lab issues. So far, nothing back from them." That was from John Dolly the same day. So I, I would say that let's pretend that all 20 cases were in the same county. Okay, probably not the case, but let's just pretend. And you're that prosecutor, okay? Chris, how much sleep are you getting that night that you find out that you uh, 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 somehow railroaded uh, 20 people on something that's not illegal? Like you know, if you I getting, was a prosecutor. Yeah, well, you, are you getting sleep that one night? case? I wouldn't sleep for the yeah. rest of the year, but but apparently this was met with nothing, just a lot of indifference. Like, why are you telling us about BZP, bro? Enough with the BZP, okay? So what? We they're all scumbags, anyways. Yeah. So, so one month later, John Verner sends again to the DAs, folks. I am sure by now you are tired of hearing from me on this topic. Unfortunately, we got a call from the attorney, the inspector general's office the other day. There appears to be another BZP type situation with the drugs <laughs> Molly and Foxy. <laughs> 
from what we can tell right now, there appear to be 46 or so uh, Mass State Police. I think he meant Maynard, but he put he wrote Maybard uh, cases. <laughs> Maybard is nice this time of year right. uh, that fall into this category. We are waiting. So that that's a dude. That is another 46 cases on top of what they already have. We are waiting on info from the Mass State Police on the Amherst Lab. As soon as you know, I, I, we see articles coming out from the rest of the country, like even in Texas, saying like, you know, egregious governmental misconduct uncovered, 19 cases reviewed and dismissed. <laughs> it's like times that and they're like, oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. Literally yeah. no one reports on it. Nothing. Um, and it's like national news like you know many 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 fewer cases i mean like you know people are listening to the podcast and they say oh less than 100 cases we've had fifty thousand cases thrown out already who cares you know these are people who were innocent the entire time who got dragged <laughs> through the court system and in many cases you know had to suffer, suffer punishment for it that makes no sense at all. And the fact that it was uncovered and wasn't immediately rectified within a week just speaks to the state of our system here. Right. As as soon as we get um, as soon as we get that, we will send you an email with an explanation of the issue and the spreadsheets. As soon as we get the spreadsheets and a little more info, we will pass it on. I anticipate doing that by tomorrow at the latest. For those of you who have had cases go to Hinton, my understanding is that the Inspector General's office will or has reached out to you on the matter. Thanks, and let me know if you have if I can be of assistance prior to getting you the info. John, and the response. Chirp, 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 chirp. Well, look, it, maybe stop sending spreadsheets if you want people to take action. Uh, you know, to paraphrase yeah. Stalin, one one tra- one travesty is, is is a tragedy, but a lot of them is just a spreadsheet. Um, right. And that, that's like that's not how you get action by sending people spreadsheets. Nobody, everybody hates spreadsheets, right? Be honest. You get one, you don't want to even click on it. So well, I love spreadsheets. Well, that's but, true. Some of us love, love them, but the majority of people, my hate wife does for sure. And they're not going to open it. And it doesn't tell you to do anything. It doesn't command action. John Werner should have commanded action. He should and, have like these guys. Why are we doing this? Like this needs to stop. Is this still going on? It, it's, Oh God, guys, I'm sorry. I'm so annoying. I'm sorry. I'm so annoying about this classy stuff. Here's my fifth spreadsheet. Yep. But by the way, the email should have been, if you do not deal with this right now, the attorney general's office is going to file a notice of appearance. We are going to take control of the case and the convictions are going to be vacated and the the charges are going to be dismissed. So either if your office has something that it wants to contest because you have other extrinsic evidence showing whatever this was, was a crime, even though the lab certainly suggests that it wasn't. Okay, but otherwise, we're getting rid of this now. Right. And I think the AG's office, I mean, it's a, I don't know how the, does the AG office, AG's office typically not investigate um, itself? I mean, is, the state police is not really part of the AG's office, right? I mean, there's that, um, you know, overlap, I guess. But um, you now know that three out of three labs are doing something that's illegal. And now you should be asking, not wow, what a weird coincidence. 
that they all did it, right? You should be investigating whether this was someone's uh, scheme. I mean, well, the problem is in that situation, if you're the attorney general, you'd ask the inspector general. But like we've seen in this circumstance, like not. Right. Uh, no, there's no, no reference to anything going on at Maybard in the OIG's report. Yeah, what, what's going on at Maybard these days? <laughs> so... <laughs> Poor John. I, I, I mean, Ned Flanders really, he, he comes up with, he just sounds like such a weenie. He, he's like, I'm sorry, guys, please don't get mad at me. Like, I mean, dude, you work for the AG's office. These guys are sending people to jail for shit that's not illegal. Like, also, why don't does this start not bother you? with folks, right? That's, uh, that's my, that's my style guide. Rule that's one. a generational thing. I've seen some people start their emails with folks that may or may not be in my firm. So, uh. <laughs> <laughs> dot, dot, dot. All right. So Amherst reported they could not test bath salts because they didn't have a standard for them. Yeah, that's exactly what's going on with the Department of Corrections. I told you guys about this a bunch of times, but yeah, like you can't, you can't have scientifically reliable evidence that's admissible in court unless you have a validated reference standard in order to compare to the evidence sample. You know, like, I've, I've done it to death. I'm sorry. I, no, I've, no, don't be sorry. That's completely a correct. <laughs> um, so here, uh, Nancy Brooks, uh, November 17th, 2014, Nancy Brooks works for the state police and she's talking to Kristen Sullivan and Kara Kreisel from the um, attorney general's office. Hi, Kara. Please see the attached spreadsheet from the Amherst samples that were suspected to be basalts. Uh, this information was gathered by Sharon Salem, a former Amherst staff member who currently works in our uh, criminalistics unit, whatever that means, in our Springfield laboratory. According to Sharon, Amherst did not have the suitable standards and therefore reported these samples as negative. Hey, wow. Well, that's actually the appropriate thing. Exactly. To do. Someone doing the right thing. Holy shit. Um, however, on each drug certificate, they added a language stating the sample may contain a federally controlled substance. <laughs> Why would they add that? Please let us know if you have any questions. Thanks, Nancy. Well, that that I don't take issue with because if something showed up as something that was federally federally scheduled, and there's still the possibility that a case could go to you know <clears throat> district court for the district of Massachusetts, then it would make sense that as investigators they would say this is what the drug is that we found. We have the standards on hand, but uh, you know it may be federally scheduled, but Certainly, if that's what they were doing, that's fine. If they were issuing certificates saying, we don't have the standard, we think it might be this, and this also might be federally scheduled, so U.S. Attorney's Office, look into it. That's not kosher. Right. Right, and, and saying it is federally scheduled is a factual statement that I, you know, I, I, I guess I wouldn't be that outraged if they did that. Um, but to say that it may be, is yeah. uh, right. It's a little it's so ineffectual. I mean, that's like going up to your neighbor and saying, you know, you may be a serial killer. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> you may, you may be right. That's, yeah. that, that's a true statement. You may be. I may have seen a, a guy leaving your house the other day and your wife buttoning up her blouse. I may have seen that. I don't know. Anyways. So, um, I mean, a listener who is sophisticated might say you're being too hard on these people. Uh, you know, 
what are they supposed to do? The answer is, you know, actual labs, if they're in a position like this and they say, we're not able to confirm something, we've been asked to give an opinion by the government, they will give a statistical probability of what they think the match is. And they'll explain how they got to those statistics. They won't just say, oh, it might be, could be, we don't know, maybe. Right. Looks bad for the defendant, but we're not going to say we're 98% sure or 5% sure. Well, it, it goes to the point of a conviction mill mentality, which is that for some reason it's painful to just do your job. And if something's negative, you say negative. I don't really understand, you know, I mean, we all, I'm sure we all have that in our job somewhere where you, you know, for lawyers, you have to tell a client that you can't represent them or, uh, you know, you turn down somebody for something. I mean, that you're not always a yes man, right? I mean, right. I mean, I, I don't want to conceive of a job where your job is just to simply do what your, your boss or your constituency tells you to do. And that's what seems to be the prevailing mentality here. And I think that is sort of the, the unexplored uh, aspect of this case. Absolutely. But, you know, I mean, in John Verner's defense, he's a lawyer and I'm sure he doesn't deal with conflict that much. So it must be tough. Um, so on September 9th of 2014, Kristen Sullivan uh, sent the following email to John Verner. Uh, hi, I just have a few comments. Do you think it is worth mentioning that after discussions in 2012 regarding Class C substances that it was determined that BZP should not be classified as such and the practice was discontinued? Additionally, uh, that the Mass State Police uh, analysts have been discussing these cases with the ADAs as they prepare for trial, basically bringing it to their attention. It is more uh, that in our experience, rather than rendering a legal opinion, that cases containing results, including those of a higher class, as well as results of BZP listed as Class C, have not been problematic since the ADAs have focused on the higher class rather than Class E. However, Mass State Police recognizes that the past practice was not correct and are prepared to issue correct reports as needed, regardless of whether the results were BZP alone or BZP um, and a substance of a higher class. Res respect to UMass, I do not have the firsthand knowledge that their past practices, um, I do not have firsthand knowledge of their past practices, but it may be worth confirming that historically they did not classify similarly. I know that when initially asked about uh, how Mass State Police would classify BZP, we answered in the present day and not past practice. My apologies for the confusion. I'm around this evening as well as all day tomorrow if you have additional questions. And then John Verner responded uh, the same day, thanks for your input. Let me know how I can get that info into the email and make changes. I'm going to have a conversation with Dan Bennett, first assistant in Worcester, and strongly su suggest he too follow up with UMass. Dan and I are friends and we can talk, so I'm sure he will call. Thanks for your help. I've said a billion times, I think Kristen Sullivan is a really great public servant. I think from that email, she's trying to say there's some issues here that really need to be explored. Here's more information. Your chief of the criminal bureau of the Attorney General's office, she doesn't say do something, but here's the info. 
Right. Yeah. I mean, but the fact that they were doing it for years, uh, it, that doesn't, that doesn't shine a good light on anyone in that lab, especially her because she was in charge of the lab. Right. Or she's, she's a higher up in that lab. Right. Kristen Sullivan. When yeah. I was her, she was the records access officer. So oh, she's I, just records access. I thought she was in their legal department. Okay. Well, that practice should never have been happening. I don't know why it happened in the first place. So on Tuesday, October 7th, uh, 2014, um, Sarah D. Simone from Norfolk sent the following email to John Verner. Hi, John. I have been reviewing the BZP list you provided and the pertinent MDAO cases, and I have a question. Is it safe to say that where there have been convictions as a class B MDMA and the drug contains a combination of MDA and BZP, that those convictions are still valid and can stand since there was still MDMA present? That's their question. John Verner responds. Hi, Sarah. Hope as well. Hope all is well. From my conversations with the Maynard lab and just thinking it through, the answer is yes. If it has MDMA in it, it is a class B drug, whether it had BZP in it or not, uh, in it as well or not. Call if you have any questions. Hi to Joe for me too. <laughs> well, I think that was a legitimate question asked, but I think uh, the response should have been our uh, analysis that is, it should be considered class B, but certainly the fact that a different class substance was found should be conveyed to the defendant because that's potentially exculpatory. And then you can try and make some sort of analysis, particularly in a trafficking case or something where weights are important, but uh, it should have been a class. I mean, the sentences associated with a class B type of offense shouldn't have been uh, involved in the case here if it was very close to 100% something that was class E. Right. Plus, I think it's prejudicial. I mean, I, I can't say how I would react as a juror, but I would say that if you're a juror and you hear that two different things that are illegal are mixed together, that sounds pretty bad, actually, right? It's one thing that you had sort of an oopsie doops moment and maybe, you know, you got a little heroin in your car by accident. I mean, or let's say marijuana in your car. But then you find out that that marijuana is laced with cocaine. You're not, you're not really looking at the defendant with the same uh, neutral eyes. So I feel that that's, pre that's a prejudicial fact that maybe needed to be cleaned up. And Jamie, we lost you, I think. Yeah, your microphone has either gotten loose or... Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay. Just we, hold the wire like that. <laughs> uh, so we, we need to get, go I, I think this is going to, we're going to wrap this up, but um, what, what is really disturbing about all of this is none of this before this podcast is the first time that any of this information has really been uh, given to the public with any kind of, you know, color. They, they, they released a black and white homogenized version in the supplemental report, but this was a major investigation um, involving hundreds of cases and wrongful convictions that was never released to the public. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know. The only thing I'd say is I don't want to pay everyone as a villain. It seems like there are certain people here who saw what was going on and 
asked from their supervisors for direction and it just didn't come. Right. Or they were given really bad directions or they tried to follow up with it in the DA. I mean, I would love to see if so, if Peter Pirro actually followed up with the DA and uh, per NASIF's advice and what the DA said, that's what I think was really happening. I think the DAs were pushing for these convictions and, uh, and they got their hands caught in the cookie jar and then, you know, still didn't want to do anything about it because that what's most important to them, as we found, is upholding convictions at all costs. And, and to that point, according to the OIG, the, the, the director of, of the Division of Analytical Chemistry, who shall not be named, had said, just say what it is without specifying the class, without certifying that it fell within a class. But yet somehow, despite that, According to the report, chemists continued to certify BZP as a class E substance through April 2012. <laughs> and, and so to me, there's a, that, should, that alone is worth a massive investigation. Because if, you, if the director says don't do something and you continue to do it, either she had her fingers crossed, as I suspect this was a CYA email, um, and it was go about business as usual. Or maybe she, in good faith, did make that instruction, but she didn't disseminate it to everyone and she never checked to make sure that was being uh, adhered to. And that's a major uh, 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 mistake of leadership. Agreed. All right, guys. Uh, thank you so much, as always. And uh, as always, to our listeners, thank you for listening. Uh, please like, subscribe, and review our podcast uh, wherever you get it. And please tell us your friends about it if you like what you're hearing. Uh, and we will see you next time on Rake. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Rake Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you subscribe so that you can get the latest episodes right when they come out. 